You are listening to episode 215 of This is Type 1. Today is part two of my 28 lessons from 28 years with type 1 diabetes, where I'm sharing the last 14 lessons. If you haven't listened to the first 14, go back to episode 214 and do that now. All right, let's just dive right in. Number 15. Most doctors want you to have a higher A1C than non-diabetics. And I think it's because they're afraid a low A1C means you're going low too much. So my A1C has solidly been in the 5% range for five years, since September of 2018. Before that, my A1C had never, ever been in the 5% range, based on the data I have going back to 2002. And what's suspiciously interesting is that the downturn in my A1Cs began in 2016, when I switched to low-carb. Hmm. Insert sarcasm voice here. It's almost like eating a high-carb diet made my numbers high, and therefore my A1C high. Hmm. Imagine that. Lesson 16. What time and range is and why it's important. So time and range is the time that your blood sugar stays between a range, so a low line and a high line. The default range is 70 mgdl to 180 mgdl. So if you hear reports out there talking about you want to stay 80% time and range, that means they want you to stay 80% of the time between 70 and 180. The problem with this is that high line. Considering I feel high when I hit like 150, I set my high line at 140 so I can catch a high before it gets away from me. I have such a problem with this default this default range of 70 to 180 because you can be riding at 170 all day technically be considered 100% in range if you don't have any excursions and still have an A1C of 7.5%, which is 1.8% higher than the cutoff for prediabetes in non-diabetics. How is that a good goal? Okay, I'm stepping off my soapbox now. Number 17, I learned just how many resources are out there. Since starting this podcast in 2019, I've learned about a lot of resources that I never knew existed before, sometimes to my detriment. I wish I had known about the diabetes link when I was in college so that I could have started a chapter of what was then known as the College Diabetes Network, or CDN. Washington State University, where I went, didn't have a chapter in 2011 when I started, and it still doesn't have a chapter even now, 12 years later. Number 18. Food sensitivities and elimination diets. So I mentioned in the first 14 lessons that biodiversity is really important, and that ties into food sensitivities. If you are really sensitive or have a really high reaction to a specific type of food, and it could be your blood sugar, it could be your weight, it could be your energy levels, all of those count, you want to figure out what those food sensitivities are so that you can work around them, avoid them, or just know what to expect if you have them. So the way that I did this was with an elimination diet. In 2020, I undertook the effort of doing a multi-month elimination diet where I reduced down to the the bare minimum of things that I included for my food. I started, I think I just did salads for a really long time, but that elimination diet helped me figure out that I am sensitive to processed meats, to nuts and nut flours, and to pumpkin seeds. So all of those things have different effects on me. And now that I know that, I can know what to expect if I go and choose to eat those. The other thing is, like I mentioned before, if I look at rice, my number goes up. Being willing to 
experience something unpleasant in order to understand what that does to you down the line. So these food sensitivities and elimination diets, it doesn't have to just be about your blood sugars. I initially did it to figure out why my weight loss had stalled. And I found out through the process of that elimination diet how different foods affected my blood sugars as well. So that's also a good idea. Number 19, there has been a dramatic increase in the type 1 diabetes diagnosis rate, especially among adults. Type 1 diabetes used to be called juvenile diabetes. That's why we have the JDRF, which is the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. But now it's not just juvenile diabetes. About half of all new diagnoses today are in adults, which is shocking. And it shocks people when I tell them this because they've always assumed that diabetes type 1 is the thing you get when you're a kid and diabetes type 2 is the thing you get when you have a poor diet when you're an adult. The reality is that neither of those are really true anymore. We have kids out there who have type 2 and we have adults out there who have type 1. Not just adults who were diagnosed when they were kids, but adults as old as in their 60s being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So that has been a really big eye-opener for me, knowing that this podcast, these resources out there are more are so important. They're more important than they ever have been before because so many new people are being exposed to this condition that they never knew about or they have misconceptions about. Number 20, how unfortunately necessary it is to both hoard the supplies that you're prescribed and being over-prescribed. So especially with the the insulin pricing fiasco that's going on, it is more important than ever for people who have the ability to be overprescribed for their insulin to be overprescribed. That means your doctor prescribes just a little bit more insulin than you actually need on a day-to-day basis. So I will be completely open in that I am overprescribed on my insulin. That means that I get maybe an extra vial every time that I get my insulin order. And that over time builds up to be able to have a backup if a vial breaks or if a prescription doesn't go through or if you need a prescription renewed and it takes a couple months. All of those things goes back to being prepared and being proactive. Another thing with the hoarding of supplies, it's not just your insulin, it's also your sensors, it's your infusion sites. I remember one time I got a shipment of uh, infusion sites from Edge Park and Edge Park at the time had been sending out lure lock connectors with T-lock reservoirs. So that meant that the infusion site itself had a lure lock, which is a Canadian lock on the end of the tube. And the reservoirs or the cartridges had T-lock connectors. That meant that the shipment that I got of cartridges and infusion sites could not connect to each other. And I found this out right after I had taken off my last site, (laughs) which meant that I had to use an old tube to connect the new site to the new cartridge, which was a whole fiasco. And Edge Park did overnight me a new shipment of corrected things. But the reality was that if I had not had, and that, that was an instance where I should have had a better hoard of things that I actually did need, but it, it was also good for me to have kept that tube without like throwing it away so that I could have that extra insurance against not having an infusion site, which would have been terrible. 
So the lesson there is hoard your supplies, be overprescribed, save things when you can, because it might not just save you in the long run, but you might have a type 1 diabetic friend who is in need, who maybe needs a vial of insulin in emergency and just can't get it anywhere else. Or another one is pumps. I've provided a backup pump to a friend before, and I've used a backup pump from a friend before. When things just go wrong, you need to have backups. And if you don't have a specific backup with you, having friends with a hoard of supplies can really help. Number 21, just how important it is to take care of your mental health with type 1 diabetes. Girls with type 1 diabetes in particular are at a higher risk for developing eating disorders. And the infrastructure to support type 1 diabetics with mental health issues, as you probably know, is lacking. We need to take it into our own hands. We need to be proactive about finding support or asking for support and understanding that what you see on social media of other people's type 1 diabetes lives is not the full picture. Even when they're showing the bad parts of it, we tend to focus on all of the good things. And the more that we can expose the truth about what our lives look like with type 1 diabetes, the better. Number 22, blood sugar control starts in the kitchen. And the advice that you can eat whatever you want as long as you give insulin for it is a recipe for lifelong struggles with weight issues, self-control issues, self-esteem issues, and a plethora of other issues. If you can't tell, I am still salty about the dietitians at Diabetes Camp who are basically indoctrinating us to believe that anything was acceptable as long as you gave insulin and that I'd die or waste away if I didn't have a lot of carbs in my diet. So yeah, I have a a lot of salt still about that, but yeah, just going to leave it there. Y'all have heard my opinions on this before. Number 23, accessibility and choice among supplies is underrated. Many people with type 1 diabetes are all but bullied into Medtronic specifically because doctors have financial arrangements with Medtronic to tell their patients to go on those pumps. Every person with type 1 diabetes deserves the opportunity to try different insulin pumps to find the one that works for their lifestyle. Now, I, I admit that I started on Medtronic in 2002, and I was on their paradigm pumps all the way until 2017, so really not that long ago. And that was when I could no longer upgrade without also getting the Medtronic sensor, which I didn't want. At that time, I was already on Dexcom, and so I ended up making the switch to Tandem, and I've been in love with Tandem ever since. Related to this, we're also sort of bullied into different insulins or certain insulins based on what's covered by insurance, not what works best for the patients. I have experienced non-medical switching of insurance multiple times, specifically for insulin, and now I have to pay out of pocket for Novolog from Canada, which is called uh, Nova Rapid in Canada, since my insurance refuses to cover it. They claim that Humalog is basically the same, and no, no, it's not. I have done tests on myself to show the difference between how Humalog works and how Novolog works, and also how Apedra works, and it turns out Apedra does not work at all for me. So Novolog for me has worked the best, and the fact that insurance keeps trying to switch me onto an, an insulin that I know doesn't work for my body is not okay. Now, I'm willing and I'm able to pay out a pocket to get it from Canada, but not every person with type 1 diabetes can do this. So accessibility is so, so important. And it takes way more than just rolling over and taking it to make change. Actually, you know, rolling over and taking it doesn't make change. We need to actually advocate and make change. Lesson number 24. 
Exercise affects all type 1 diabetics differently, and I had to experiment a lot to figure out what works for me. Like I mentioned in the last episode, it took me 18 or 19 hikes to figure out how to not go low on a hike. In general, exercise does help stabilize blood sugar, but you can't figure out what kind of exercise it takes to stabilize the blood sugar without going through the experiment of possibly going low so that you can figure out how to not go low. And I think that that year-long experiment of hiking helped prepare me for starting going boxing and going to Orange Theory and being able to not go low during those classes or how to preempt a low if I see one coming. Lesson number 25. My type 1 diabetes and my blood sugars are not responsible for my emotions. If I'm high and I'm mad that I'm high, it's because I'm fighting reality and I'm thinking that my blood sugar shouldn't be that high or that I should have been a better diabetic. While I will never argue with you that diabetes sucks and that it's hard, I've had a much better experience of type 1 diabetes since learning how to own my emotions around my numbers. So now, sometimes when I go high, and I know it's because of something I did, I'm way less likely to get mad about it. Contrast that to college when I got super frustrated all the time for every high and every low, and going to the gym was an exercise in frustration. Lesson number 26. My health and my blood sugar is more important than someone else's thoughts or feelings. (laughs) So this is a great funny story. I ate Smarties in my job interview and still got hired. (laughs) It wasn't until both me and my manager had left that company and were catching up at dinner last year that he told me he thought I was nuts for doing that. And it didn't occur to him until later, like after the interview, that I might have been diabetic. (laughs) I had like, I had zero qualms about fixing a low, even in an environment like a job interview. And hey, it paid off. He's my work dad. It's all good. (laughs) Lesson number 27. Every piece of technology will fail, which means A, I need a backup, and B, I cannot 100% rely on technology. Despite Tandem's control IQ algorithm giving me basically unbeatably smooth overnight blood sugars, that technology is useless if my sensor is freaking out. And it likes to do that, especially after I do whole body cryotherapy, after I'm in the bath, and on new sensor days. So predictably, I can kind of time when my sensor is going to be freaking out and then rely more on my glucometers or just body feeling to figure out if I'm high or if I'm low. And we are down to lesson number 28, which is to stay involved. There's evidence that being involved in a type 1 diabetes community, no matter where it's based or how it operates, actually lowers your A1C. I went to diabetes camp for 20 years, but that was one week out of the summer. When we started this podcast pretty much four years ago, barely three months went past when I saw my A1C drop off a cliff. So even if you don't change like a single other thing, get involved. Talk with other type 1 diabetics. Write a blog. Start your own podcast. Be an agent of encouragement in this bleak world. And remember that even though you have type 1 diabetes, you are so much more than your numbers. So here's to the next 28 years. And remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. 
Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.